<laughs> well, good, good morning, Community Alliance Church. Just want to welcome you back uh, here with us this last Sunday morning of 2018. My name is Pastor Joe. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And congratulations, we made it through Christmas. And 2019 is right around the corner. So kind of in that vein, I want to ask a question this morning. A quick show of hands. Who here would say, you know what, I, I'm going to make a resolution, uh, a New Year's resolution for 2019. Feel free to show your hands, nothing wrong with that. All right, very good, very good. I don't know if I'm making one yet or not. I've been really struggling with this, trying to figure out what, what should my New Year's resolution be for the coming year. And so, you know, I wanted to get some advice on what I should do. And so I turned to one of the best places to get advice for your life, Twitter. So... In case you don't know what Twitter is, it's this social media outlet that lets anybody in the world with an internet connection share their opinion on anything they want to share it about. So, I mean, what could go wrong with that? So I turned to Twitter, and here are some ideas that I'm considering. Maybe you want to consider some of these ideas, too. Go ahead and show the first one, guys. Uh, this person's New Year's resolution is to upgrade his relationship status from forever alone to just slightly desperate. Uh, my advice to him would be, if you want to see that upgrade, don't post stuff like that. The next one is this. Uh, this person wants to try to put less than four chapsticks through the washer and dryer next year. Actually, I can relate to that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That would be a good year. Next one is, uh, it was my resolution to lose 15 pounds. Still have 35 to go. All right. Got time for a couple more. Uh, this person's wondering, should my New Year's resolution be to grow my hair out again? That's easier than getting my life together. Sometimes it might feel that way. Finally, the last one, this is my favorite. Uh, telling people your New Year's resolution so you'll be accountable is a great way to find out that no one cares about your resolution. I don't know if you're going to make a resolution or not this year. I don't know if I, I'm going to make one or not. But here's what I think that you do know and that I know is at the heart of any New Year's resolution is a desire to be a different and better version of me. Right? So a person making resolution might say, you know, it would be better in my life if I lost a few pounds this coming year. Or it would be better if I got into better shape. Or it would be better if I spent less money and saved more money. Or maybe there was a bad habit in your life that you would want to kick. See, at, at the heart of every resolution is a determination to be some better version of me. And it's about me. See, like my resolutions would involve me and yours would involve you. But as I was thinking about resolutions, they're more than just something that involves me, right? They actually revolve around me. In other words, a resolution is centered upon me. It would depend on me. For instance, my resolution or your resolution would only be successful for as long as I resolve to continue doing whatever it was that I resolved to do. So if I made the resolution that I'm going to get into better shape, it would only last as long as I continued resolving to go to the gym regularly. Or if you said, hey, I'm going to go on a diet this year, your resolution would only last as you continued willing yourself to lift broccoli to your mouth instead of cake. And whenever your resolution or whenever your resolve gives out, 
then your resolution kind of goes flying off into space and crashes because it revolves around you. And I bring this up this morning for a reason. Because as I've reflected on my own life and as I've talked to other people about their faith, well, here's what I think happens. I think that sometimes our approach to God can kind of come down to the same thing. In other words, I, I think that our faith at times can come down to a resolve that revolves around me and what's going on in my life. It shows up in some different ways. For instance, your, your, your faith can be a resolve that revolves around you and your circumstances. Faith can feel a little bit like a roller coaster sometimes in our lives. Like it, your faith is going however the tracks of your life are going. If you're uphill and things are going well, then your faith is strong. But when you're going downhill and you hit that bottom, you feel like your faith is about to crash. Or maybe in your life it shows up a little bit like your faith is just the resolve that revolves around you and your efforts. When you come to Community Alliance Church regularly, you know Pastor Denny delivers some awesome sermons. And so there's probably Sundays when you walk out the door thinking, that's it. I am going to do better. I'm resolving to be better at being a Christian. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to serve more. Or some other kind of spiritual more that you think will deliver the payoff of spiritual results in your life. However it shows up in our lives. This morning, I want you to consider a question with me as we go through the Bible together, and that's this. How much does my faith revolve around me? How much does my faith revolve around me? And as we do that, my hope is that our time in the Word will lead us to a point where we will see that God wants a different kind of faith in our lives in the coming year. God wants us to have a faith that doesn't revolve around me and my circumstances and my efforts. Instead, God wants us to have a faith that is a resolve that revolves around Him. I'll say that one more time because it's key that we get this. The faith that God desires for you when God looks at the year ahead of you, he desires for you to have a faith that's a resolve that revolves around him. It's not a faith that revolves around how your life is going and your circumstances or your efforts. But he wants you to have a faith that revolves around him showing up and performing his work in your life. And today, today we're going to be in one of, my, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And we're going to be looking at a Bible character who, who I think really exemplifies this kind of faith. And his name is Daniel. And so if you want to pull your Bible out or grab a Bible from the seat back nearby or get on the Bible app and make your way over to Daniel. And we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. And as we're getting there, I just want to give you a heads up. We're going to be looking at 16 verses today. Like that's a lot of Bible verses. That's more verses that some folks have read all year. So good for you. You're going to double it up today. But I say that, and all kidding aside, I don't want you to get lost in the details because this story is so powerful. And we're going to see how Daniel's circumstances led him to have a deeper faith and how his deep faith led him to make a resolution that placed all of his faith in God to show up and perform his work. 
So Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 to start out. So once you're there, you can follow along on the screen with me. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service, slash kidnap, some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. He was looking for young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And all of these details are important because all of this stuff happened to the central character of our story, Daniel. We meet him in the next verse, in verse 6. It says, Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. There was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But they didn't get to keep their names. In fact, the chief official gave them new names, Babylonian names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Okay, let's come up for air for a minute, because a lot's going on here. And sometimes when I'm reading the Bible and I'm reading some of these Old Testament stories, what I like to do is I like to think about what would have been like to be in the character's shoes. So what would have been like to be Daniel? Maybe when you were a teenager, you sort of carelessly uttered the phrase, I wish I was never part of this family. I wish I had a new family. I'm leaving. For Daniel, that became his reality. Because as a teenager, a foreign army came and took him a thousand miles away from his homeland and his family. And it wasn't like summer camp where he would get to go home at the end of the week or even a college semester where he would get to go home after the finals He was taken away from his homeland and his family with no hope of ever seeing them again. He was taken to this new and different place. And these young men were kind of like hard drives that were being wiped clean and then reprogrammed with new software. Everything about their former life was to be erased. And they were to learn a new language. They couldn't keep their old names. They had to have new names. They had to learn the new literature and the new education of Babylon. And then they were forced to serve the very king who invaded their land and took them away. Now I want to ask you, as best you can put yourself into Daniel's shoes, what would an experience like that do to your faith? Remember, Daniel had been raised to believe in this God Yahweh, 
who was to take care of his people as a Jew. And yet this horrible stuff happens to him. If you were Daniel, what would that do to your faith? You see, in our lives, if we have a faith that revolves around our circumstances, then difficult and painful circumstances can threaten to destroy our faith. Maybe you've been there this past year. Maybe you're there right now. There's a Jewish author named Ellie Weissel who has a quote in one of his books that I think really captures this feeling in our lives. Uh, Ellie Weissel was a was a Jewish author who survived the Holocaust of World War II, and he spent time in Nazi concentration camps. And in his book, Night, he writes not only about his experiences, but he writes about the impact that those experiences in the concentration camps had on his life. And, and when he talks about when he first got there, he writes this. Let me share it with you. We'll put it on the screen so you can follow along. He says, Never shall I forget those flames that consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget those moments that murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to ashes. That's a powerful, powerful quote. And here's what I know. And here's what I think that some folks in this room have lived this past year. You don't have to go through the Holocaust to have feelings like that about your faith. There are people here today who have faced difficult circumstances in your lives that have caused you to question the existence of God and caused you to feel like you are losing your faith. You faced the loss of a loved one this past year. You celebrated Christmas on Tuesday and that person wasn't there. You've gone through a very painful end to a relationship and it's made you wonder, is God really in this situation. You've watched family members and friends go through illness or make painful decisions or you've gone through the loss of a job or you've had other difficult things that have happened in your life. And here's what I want you to know. If God's bringing to mind things this morning, even as we're talking about it, these circumstances in your life, I want you to know that difficult circumstances in your life can destroy your faith but they can also deepen your faith. Daniel had a faith that was a resolve that revolved around his God, not his circumstances. So when he faced difficult circumstances, those things in his life actually deepened his faith. They drove him to God rather than away from God. How how do I know this? You might be asking. I want to go back to verse 2. And on our way back there, I want you to think about this. Who is this book named after? Daniel, right? It's the story of Daniel. And the best Bible experts tell us that either Daniel wrote this book himself near the end of his life, or he handed off his personal memoirs and stories to other authors who were close to him who wrote the story for him. So track with me. In this book of Daniel, we not only have the events that happened in Daniel's life, but we have Daniel's perspective. We have his take on the events. So with that in mind, let's look at verse 2 again. And don't miss what he says. 
verse 2 says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Did you see it? His perspective was that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. That the Lord delivered these events into Daniel's life. If you had watched the news that night, it wouldn't have said that. It would have said, Nebuchadnezzar conquers another country. Nebuchadnezzar's army is too powerful for Jerusalem and its God. But that wasn't Daniel's take. Daniel's perspective was that God was present in his difficult circumstances. And this morning I want you to know that whatever circumstances you face, when you have a faith that is a resolve that revolves around God, he is also present in your life. Even and especially in your difficult circumstances. I had the opportunity earlier this year to see how this really works in someone's life. We have a gentleman in our church. His name is Duke, and he suffers from MS. And earlier this year, Duke was going through a really bad flare-up, and he was in the hospital. So I went up to visit him. And I confess to you, um, as a pastor, these are hard visits to make. I, I know that Duke... Uh, I don't. I know he suffers, and he is bound by a wheelchair. And at this point, he's bound to a bed. And I don't know why God lets this happen in, in people's lives. And so I'm going up to visit him, and I have this prayer between the elevator and the door to his room. And I'm just saying, God, I, I just help me to encourage him. Like I don't know what to say. I can't make it better. Just let me be an encouragement. And kind of as I'm saying Amen, I walk in the room and I say, Hey, Duke, how's it going? And I'll never forget the conversation that followed. For the next 30 minutes, all Duke and his wife talked about were how God had been present in the difficult circumstances they were going through. All they talked about was God did this, and then God was doing that. They shared this story about when the flare-up of his MS got really bad. They were at a local shopping center, and he was in his wheelchair, and his wife was able to get him to the side of their vehicle. It's like a handicap-accessible vehicle, and normally on, on a good day, he's able to have the strength to get himself back in, but, but he, was, he was too weak, and he's a big guy, and his wife wasn't able to help him get in, so they're at the side of their vehicle, and, and they're like, what are we going to do? We can't get him in, and he's suffering, and all of a sudden, they hear behind them a man's voice saying, can I help you. And they turn around and there's this athletically built guy who not only is strong, but he actually has experience helping people like Duke in these situations. So he was able to get him into the vehicle and so they're relieved and they turn around to thank the guy and he's gone. And they didn't know if they saw a good Samaritan or like a stealth ninja or an angel, but they didn't even care because God, they were certain, was present right there with them. During their tough time. Called Duke and his wife a couple weeks ago because I wanted to share the story and I wanted to ask permission. When I said, hey, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm going to share. He said, you've got to share that story. Because people need to know that God is faithful no matter what. So I'm telling you, God is faithful no matter what. Daniel had a faith that was a resolve that revolved around God. And not his circumstances. And his circumstances led him to learn that God is faithful no matter what. And so as the story continues on, Daniel is able to have this faith that is deepened because of the experiences that he went through. But he finds himself living in this place called Babylon. 
And he realizes in Babylon there are some things there that really threaten his ability to establish his faith in God. So our story continues in verse 8. Jump back there with me. And the Bible says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So, so what was it about the royal food and wine that made Daniel draw the line there? Like, I guess, I looked it up. I don't know. All the Bible experts, they argue with each other about what it was. They're not even sure. But here's what we do know. Daniel realized that in this new place he was living, there were things that were going to come his way that would harm his faith. And he said, I have to draw the line here. Like, I can't do this. I follow God. And if I take part in this, I won't have the faith that he's calling me to. And the food and the drink were one of those things. So he makes this sort of big whopper of a resolution. He says, I'm not going to eat that stuff or drink that stuff. Look what happens. Daniel chapter 8, 1 verse 8, the rest of it. So he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Do you see the progression there? Don't miss this. Verse 8 says, but Daniel resolved. Verse 9, now God caused. But Daniel resolved, now God caused. See, Daniel had a little problem. He didn't do the grocery shopping at the prison. He didn't control the menu. He wasn't in charge of what food was going to be put in front of him. He had a desire to live with a faith that revolved around God, but he realized that his ability to live out that faith was beyond his control. He needed help. He needed a now God moment in his life. You see, Daniel's faith was a resolve that revolved around God, not his efforts. As I look at this story and I think, you know, if this had been me in the story, it might have gone a little differently. Maybe for you it would have gone a little differently too. In fact, sometimes I think in my life and maybe in your life, the story is, but Joe resolved, verse 9, now Joe tried harder. And maybe your story sometimes is, now you resolved, verse 9, now you tried harder. It reminds me of a time when my wife and I were, were dating uh, this is before we were married, and we had gone to Pittsburgh with her parents to do something. I can't even remember what, but we were driving back from Pittsburgh, heading south on Route 51, and my wife, then girlfriend, and I were in, the car, in my car, and her parents were following behind us in their car. And we're going down the road, and all of a sudden I hear this pulsating, rumbling noise uh, in the back of the car, and I realized, we have a flat tire. So on a dark, rainy night, we get pulled off the road into the Waltersburg Post Office parking lot, and her parents pull in behind us. And the conversation in my car with my then-girlfriend went something like this. She said, do you know how to change a flat tire? <laughs> and, and my response was, uh, I think so. And then she said, maybe the most motivating words I've ever heard in my life. I'm sure my dad will do it for you. Now, a mature person 
would have probably said, you know what, I could, I'm glad to have the help. I was not a mature person at that point. Now, understand this. My father-in-law is a great guy, and he's really good at everything he does. But that night, I wanted my wife to know that I could do a few things too. So I made my own little resolution in the car before I got out. I didn't care what it took. I didn't care if it took all night. I didn't care if I was bloody, greasy, soaking wet, broken foot. I was changing that tire. Me. When we tell the story to our grandchildren one day, it is not going to be now Papa helped change the tire. It's going to be now Daddy changed the tire. I did change that tire, believe it or not. But as I look back at that, I think, you know what? Is that how I approach my faith? Is that how you approach your faith? Like, do we try to prove to God our worthiness by living for him without any of his help? When you have a faith, folks, that's just your resolve revolving around your effort, please know that that is not spirituality. That is pride. And when I see that creeping into my life, I'm reminded of a verse in the book of John in chapter 8 that tells us that even Jesus himself relied upon God's power to live his life of faith. Let me share this with you real quick. John chapter 8 verse 28. We'll put it on the screen if you don't want to flip over there with me. Jesus says this. Maybe in your Bible the the verses are in red letters. These are Jesus' words. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And watch this. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. For I always do what pleases him. Jesus says, I do nothing on my own. Everything he did was through the power of God. You see, when we try to live our lives of faith, but our faith revolves around our efforts, isn't that pretty much saying, look, Jesus might have needed God, but I'm better than that. I can do it myself. There's a theological word for that. That word is stupid. Daniel had a faith that was a resolve that revolved around God and not his own efforts. And so Daniel makes this resolution, realizes he doesn't do any of the shopping around here. He's like, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to trust God. And so he goes to the official, the person who could allow or not allow the change in food, and he asks him in verse 8 for permission not to file himself this way. Verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Verse 10, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. What he says is, Nebuchadnezzar made up this menu. He picked out the font. He picked out the graphics. He picked the printer. He picked the food. He picked the sides. He picked every single thing about this. 
and I'm scared of him. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? In other words, he's saying, he's not stupid. When he sees you guys looking lousy and these other guys looking good, he's going to know something's up. The king would then have my head because of you. At first, this looks like a rejection, doesn't it? And I I thought it was too. But then I went back and read it a little bit more carefully. Because remember, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. So think about what he says. He says, why should the king see you looking worse? Well, when, when, when was the king going to see these guys? Verse 6 tells us that they were in a three-year training program. So this official, in the favor and compassion that God had caused him to feel towards Daniel, is saying, look, I'm not buying into a menu change for three years. I don't want to be there when the king sees you guys looking worse. But he doesn't say no to a test. And so, in fact, when we get to verse 11, we see that he approved a a little test to see if Daniel's God really would show up in Daniel's life. Verse 11 says, Then Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. He said, okay, look, here's the deal. We're going to try this out for ten days. What's the worst that could, go ha- could happen in ten days? Even if you guys look terrible, we have a whole bunch of time to get you looking good again before the king flips out and sees you. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. I bet you can't guess what happens. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So, I know Upstreet is in here this morning. Kids, eat your vegetables. That's the moral of the story. No, it's not. (laughs) Parents, feel free to use that, though. Verse 16, so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So now, now listen, I know what you're thinking, right? Because I thought it too. Look, Daniel got lucky, Right? Maybe back then, they didn't know what we know now through science, and it turns out that vegetables are actually really, really good for you. And maybe you're thinking, look, Daniel and his buddies might have thought that God was at work causing their physical bodies to look good, but that's just because they don't know what we now know about healthy eating. In fact, all these people go on these diets on, what is it, Wednesday now, and all they're going to be eating is vegetables because they want to look better. Daniel, he got kind of lucky. So here's what I'll say to that. First, you got to remember, these guys were teenagers, okay? My experience with teenagers is this. They were really, really healthy. You can feed a healthy teenage boy whole organic foods or McDonald's for 10 days, and that body's going to handle that just fine. It's not going to make any difference. But I don't want to debate the diet, because I think debating the diet distracts from what God was really doing here. The real work of God in the story wasn't making them look good. The real work of God in the story was causing the heart of that official to change towards Daniel. God's work was working in the heart of a person. And and you might be thinking, so what's the big deal about changing a menu? He just changed the menu. 
If that's you, I just want you to try a little test to see how hard it is to change a menu. Tomorrow, go to Chick-fil-A. You can't go today. It's Sunday. They're not open. I've done it. It's very disappointing, so I just want to warn you. Go on a Monday. Walk up to the counter. There's going to be a little 16-year-old that is just so eager to say my pleasure to you. And order a cheeseburger. And see what they do. Because changing a menu is a little bit tough. But it's not just that. Think about this even more. Let's say you get the nicest 16-year-old in Cranberry at your Chick-fil-A. And it's my story, so I'm going to tell it how I want. They leave, and they don't go to McDonald's to get you a burger. They go to Burgatory, and they bring you back an 8-ounce juicy burger, just so they can say my pleasure to you. (laughs) What do you think is going to happen when the manager walks out? That poor kid's going to get fired. Because somebody way up on the Chick-fil-A org chart with a lot more power than her said, we don't serve beef. We're Chick-fil-A. We serve chicken. Do you realize that when this official said, my Lord, my King, who has assigned your food and drink, what he's saying is that the most powerful person the most powerful human being in the entire world who is known to throw temper tantrums for no good reason personally picked out what you're going to eat. And if he finds out we're messing with his menu, I won't only be removed from my position, but my head will be removed from my body. This official had no cause to play with the food just to help this little Jewish boy except for exactly what verse 9 says. Now God caused. Now God caused. Daniel couldn't live his life of faith on his own. He needed a now God moment. Do you need a now God moment in your life? Maybe you're here today and, and you've just been, you've been really feeling frustrated with your spiritual life. You feel like you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. You're here at church on December 30th, really, like Christmas is over and you even came back on the 30th. Good for you. Maybe you read your Bible a lot and you prayed and you're serving and you're doing all these spiritual things, but you feel like you're not seeing the spiritual results in your life That you feel like God owes you because you're working hard. What's wrong? Could it be that your faith is a resolve that revolves around you and your efforts rather than around God and his work? Maybe your faith has been a lot of now you. Now you do this. Now you do that. And now God should give you what you want in your life spiritually. Please learn from Daniel today that if you want to have now God moments in your life, your faith, my faith, it can't be now you and now me. If we want to see God perform his work in our lives, the work that only he can do, It can't be up to us 
to do it. Let me, let me finish with a quick statistic. The Washington Post said this about New Year's resolutions. said that 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. So that means 40% of us in this room probably made a New Year's resolution. Other studies show, though, that only 10% of the people who make New Year's resolutions are successful in keeping them. So I did the math. That means that there's about 4% of the people here in this room this morning that are going to make a New Year's resolution and keep it. So I just want to say in advance, congratulations, you are better than the rest of us. You should feel good about yourself. Also means that there's about 36% of the people in this room that are going to make a New Year's resolution and not keep it. So you guys are a little delusional, but we still love you. (laughs) Then there's the 60%, all the rest of us who won't make a resolution. I think what that means is that next year, this time, we will still be out of shape, but at least we're honest about it, so that's good. I don't know if those statistics are true or not. Here's what I do know. In the areas of our lives where our human resolve can make a difference, like diets or spending or exercising, seeing change happen and enjoying results is still really hard. Even where our efforts can make a difference, it's still a struggle. So my question I want to leave you with is, if we still struggle so much in the areas of our lives where our human resolve can make a difference, why is it that we cling to our human resolve in the area of our life where only God's power can make a difference. In your life, in your faith, are you clinging to God's power or are you clinging to your effort? Let me close with a word of prayer. And I know we're five minutes over. I need, I need 60 more seconds from you. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I want you to ask God a question. And I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about it. Ask God, how do you want to grow my faith in 2019? And listen for his answer. God, how do you want to grow our faith in 2019? Now I want you to ask God a second question. It's this. God, what do I need to do to let you grow my faith the way you want to this coming year? Let me pray for you. God, I pray that you will speak through your word and through the story of Daniel today to the hearts of the people in this room. I pray that when we leave this room, we won't leave what you're saying to us behind, but you'll help us to carry it out the doors with us into our lives. Because God, you have big plans for us. You have big dreams for what we can be through you this coming year. God, I pray that you'll give that vision and give us the courage and the resolve to have a faith that revolves around you in 2019. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Don't forget, 
Next Sunday is baptism service. If you've never been to a baptism service at Community Alliance Church, you do not want to miss it. It's an amazing time. You can sign up out in the lobby. Also, tomorrow, December 31st, is the last day to sign up for Man Camp and get a $10 discount. You can still sign up after tomorrow, but you'll miss out on the discount, mancamp2019.org. Have a great week.